Stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned. Here with the coach, John Brill. Man, I'm here with the vet, Mr. N. Griffin. And who in the world do we have on the day? I don't know this guy. Man, I am so excited. We got Nick Rucker, who I've known for a long time, and we'll get into that later. But uh, Nick, man, it's good to have you on here. What you got, man? Before I throw some pictures up here on you. Oh, just uh, just glad to be here. It seems like uh, the last time you and I were face to face talking, man, it's been. It's been a long time, like actual uh, in person. You know what I mean? Like we've we've had some chats uh, online and all that stuff, but uh, they uh, definitely. I'm glad to be here, and uh, we've we've talked about this for a long time. So, yeah, I think it's been at least ten years. It's ten years and some change, right? To be honest. So, uh, yeah. hey, let me throw some pictures up here. So, first okay. of all, what do we got here? Uh yeah. So I'm a musician. Um, I've been a musician for. Uh, geez, probably 16 years or so now, um, off and on and was a, started out in just rock bands playing in my mom's basement with a bunch of buddies from high school. Um, <clears throat> then that kind of went, morphed into, I started playing on my own and, uh, to now it's just, Hey, I'm a, I'm a recording artist and go out and do my thing on weekends whenever I have free time. And, and, uh, yeah, that's. That's me at a show here in Omaha. <laughs> awesome. So we got another picture of you here. Hey, I like hey. that picture. What's going on there, man? Brother. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. I'm ready to get my heart broke again this year. <laughs> Be careful on here, Nick. Yeah. Uh, we, we hold no, nothing back on Cowboy fans. It should be nothing but loyalty, my friend. So, yeah. uh, man, it is so good to have you on here. And I'm excited. It's a, it makes my day. Uh, I've been – we we've said this. We need to get Nick on here a long time, and we we gone to some political side and political side, and we said let's just get him on. And I said, hey, I'm going to go somewhere to get him on after. Let's just get him on now. And like, heck yeah, I'm glad. So I'm going to throw it over to the coach. Go ahead, coach. Well, one of the things that interests me about Nick when I first saw that picture, I know you posted a week or so ago, was like, first of all, that's a Martin guitar. I can tell that from a distance, and that's. Uh, my dad loved playing Martin. That's how I learned playing guitar, Nick, was my dad was in a bluegrass band when I was a kid. And when I was seven, eight years old, he taught me how to play, you know, acoustic guitar by, by the chords and stuff. And kind of same thing with you. I was in high school. I was in the, the hair bands. Uh, and so we always had, you know, band practice in the backyard and in the stores building. And then I actually was in a country band for a number of years and a blues band. And I, a few years ago, I was in a Christian rock band. So now, seeing you play that, Martin, do you play any electric guitar? Do you play any, you know, type of solo, or is it just pretty much that you sing and play? Yeah, pretty much just a rhythm player and and sing. Uh, the I do a few things, few lead parts here and there, stuff that I can figure out. Um, but the yeah, that Martin, that was a. I've been a Taylor guy for quite a while, um, and I I felt like there was a point right after the military when I had some extra money that uh, I graduated from buying uh these alvarez guitars and all this stuff and upgraded to a uh a taylor 210e which was like wow, my first, nice. first version of an electric kind of a road warrior for me became that um and then after that i was i still want a, a gibson j45 at some point or an sj200 but the uh 
came went into guitar center one day and saw that one and um that road series and i was just like wow that you know usually i'm not a visual i'm more of a hey i have to pick it up if and if it sounds good then i'll buy it because sometimes like i'll i'll buy the cheapest guitar if it sounds good right uh they've got a um, yamaha nippongaki which was built in 1973 i believe 72 or 73 anyway um that sounds like way better than the other two guitars that i have that were probably twice as much if not more but yeah those <clears throat> those uh martin guitars are hard to beat especially for full sounding just really vibrant beautiful acoustics <clears throat> well one of the things i wanted to say was that when i saw that picture and you said that you're playing by yourself now i know that's kind of that's intimidating because I know at times that I played acoustic sets where I would do play and this one other person would sing and it was very intimidating just to have us two, especially for the singer. So how is it that it's just you, the mic, the guitar and a crowd of people that most of you don't know and you never know the crowd, what they're going to, if they're going to want a Merle Hagger type night or they're going to want a George Strait type night or maybe they want a, 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 a you know, a, a Sweet Home Alabama night. You never yeah. know what you're getting. So how does, how do you deal with that? <laughs> yeah people get pretty persistent um that's that's for sure um I, you know i don't run into too many situations where i can't talk my way out of it um yeah. but um there are plenty of times where there it's yeah it, you talk about like they want a sweet home alabama night or a, usually i know something in that realm um as far as like george Strait, i can go all night with george Strait. um but you talk about older stuff merle haggard and I felt bad because I played a show with his son, Ben Haggard, a couple of years ago. And the uh, the fact that I didn't know any Merle Haggard songs while I was up there playing, I was like, Ugh, I feel really bad. Hey, hey, I'll give you a little bit of advice. My dad was in a country band for years in bluegrass. And when I started playing on stage in a country, these country bars, as you call them, he said, son, you can always learn uh silver wings it's eab and if you know one merle if you get in a position that you need to know a merle everybody loves it and dances to it silver wing <laughs> yeah <clears throat> definitely i'll put that put that in my notes here uh, but back to that guitar that I'll, I'll tell you what you're, you're right about the guitar the visual on that guitar the lines on that with two tones yeah man that's absolutely beautiful because most of your martins you see are just your standard martin as i call yeah. them you know uh, I don't know if you call them the sunburst color, but it's just that normal Martin color. Um, for a number of years, I did play a Takamini and a Taylor, and uh, I just couldn't afford a good Martin. And uh, But my dad always had that Martin that he played in the bluegrass band, and every once in a while he'd let me touch it as a young kid, and I always thought, you know, like I was touching Jimi Hendrix's guitar at that time. But, you know, there's something about that sound of a Martin you just can't really, you know, beat. Right. Yeah. Those Takaminis, those are just right up there as well. I mean, as if as good, if not better um, of a guitar as well. But uh, yeah, as far as an electric, <clears throat> I bought an electric a few years ago. I was going through a Chevelle phase um, and I thought I was going to be a three piece Chevelle style band, um, which died out real quick. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, I went out and bought a, uh, a real cheap Dean electric and uh, a, a, uh, uh, I can't even, a fender amp something but i saw i've since sold it and i've got i've got guitars that people just give me and stuff and they're like hey so and so used to have this they're not using it anymore would you take it and so i've got some hand-me-down stuff some bases and all this crazy stuff that 
I don't really ever use, but it's there if I need to record with it. Let's just say that. So, well, <clears throat> I know that you and you and the vet have known each other for, you know, like I said, years ago, y'all were talking about it. And I really want to know your story, how you met each other, but I do want to know how in the world the musician and the vet know each other. I mean, come on now. The vet let me borrow his his electric guitar for maybe five, six months because he wasn't playing and I was rocking the house. I don't I don't get it, vet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, so this is the deal. Uh, I'll say, Nick, is I've always wanted to play the guitar uh, and but I never have been able to do that. Uh, I will get on a 60 day kick, try to teach myself and then I'll go two years without playing it. And I'll get on a 60 day kick again. And I'll learn a song or two, feel like I've done something great. And I have a soldier come and pick up the guitar, do circles around me. And I'm like, okay, I'm never picking the guitar up again. And things like that, because I'm too embarrassed after that. And uh, and I I got like three guitars, I mean, electric. You know, I don't know what the hell I'll do with them. I'm trying to yeah. learn, and I, and I feel like I'm cool when I hold one. That's about it, is I can't <laughs> make it tune. I can play the Star Spangled Banner. I can play that. That's about it. Because hey. you can ad lib the heck out of that, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and nobody's going to grade you on it. You're just like, so, uh, yeah. So, coach, we're going to get to the how we know each other. And, but I got, I'm going to ask a couple of things real quick. Okay. On the music side, Nick, is what were your influences? That's the first thing I want to ask. And then okay. I'll get to the next one, though, here in a second. So, so really, I, I don't know how it all came about, really. Uh, my buddy Ben and I in high school, <clears throat> we used to be huge Boys to Men fans. And um, so we would do these talent shows and we'd sing To the End of the Road uh, by Boys to Men. And still one of my favorites today. And basically we were doing that. And then that transcribed into Ben joined a band, um, a, a high school band that was called um, Flight. They were kind of a Christian rock band, uh, and they had a tryout one day and asked me if I wanted to join, and I sang Every Morning by Sugar Ray, and I wasn't very good whatsoever, um, and so I don't blame them for not bringing me on, uh, but <clears throat> after that, then really, I mean, kind of what happened was a bunch of us, there was there was just some, we, were, we grew up in a small country town, 500 people in, in Missouri. And there wasn't a lot else to do besides drink, I guess, and and hang out and and uh, pick up bales of hay in the summertime and whatever else. But um, so we ultimately all all of us weird guys, I guess, uh, got together in my mom's basement and probably were exposed to uh, black mold quite a bit. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> started playing and started playing uh, System of a Down songs and. And um, all this creed and everything else that was hot then, I guess. Um, and then we had this uh, this uh, town fair every summer would come through and they would have the same uh, the same band play every single year. And these guys, it was like pulling teeth trying to get us to get up there and play uh, just because it was an old township and everybody's kind of stuck in their ways. And, and they didn't really know if they trusted us enough or not. And so. Well, we got up there and played for I think 30 minutes and and that was it and then after that it was just it was it had its claws in we'll say that <clears throat> um, then I started picking up the guitar at that point started learning some Nirvana um, stuff that was easy to play and sing and um, <clears throat> I hadn't gotten 
dove into Soundgarden yet at that point, but I was getting there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but uh, then after uh, a while, I, man, there, I mean, I joined the military and then there was a break for quite a bit um, where I didn't really play as far as play shows and stuff. I'd take a, every deployment I went on, I bought a guitar while I was gone just so I would have it uh, and uh, did that. And then played in, uh, it, it really wasn't until I guess I got out of the military off active duty that I was like, okay, I got to do this. I've got to do something to, to keep my time occupied and, um, the, <clears throat> some way to make money quick too, at the same time. Uh, and, uh, that, it, that wasn't the right answer. <laughs> we'll just say that. <laughs> so, so, so it, you might remember when I was at Fort Bragg after this is after I met you, I, I would run a lot. I ran a lot cause my wife was still at Fort Campbell and, and things of that nature. And, um, but I would listen to Chris Cornell when I ran and I listened to you and I listened to a hometown favorite that's here that a guy named Cole Wetzel. I don't know if you ever heard of him or not, but he's, he's from our hometown. He's big. John Brent and I went to school with his mom and, and things of that nature. Okay. So I will take, he's huge here. Everybody think, I mean, they love him, but I will tell you this, when we go on road trips, we'll listen and my iPod goes through things and my wife doesn't like it. And when Cole Wetzel comes on, this is what she'll say. She goes, he ain't no Nick Rucker. It's exactly what she says uh, because she really likes, uh, she goes, Nick is easy to listen to. He's so easy to listen to. It's soothing. He doesn't have a nasally voice or none of this other stuff. You can just get picked right into it. And I agree. It's very good on that part. So first I wanted to tell you that story. So uh, uh, the other thing I will say is uh, you, you, you released like Nick Rucker country and then you released some other songs and, and, uh, and I have a few of my favorites. And I, Coach, do you, I apologize. You got something here on this part here? Well, no, I, I do. I do have a question. If I, if, yeah, because there is such a, 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 a an influence difference there. You know, from System yep. of the Down all the way. So if I go to a Nick Rucker show, what is the what is say the three say two or three songs that that Nick likes to play that I'm going to hear at a Nick Rucker show? All right, so. Uh, covers cover wise, some um, Jason Isbell cover me up. That's that's one of my favorite ones to play live. Um, Tennessee whiskey, um, and then uh, my the crowd favorite, and what always gets me kind of pumped up is Friends in Low Places. Garth Brooks. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are. But if I'm talking like throwing in some rock in there, I play some White Snake when I'm at a show. I'll play Here I Go Again. Um, I, I'm all over the board. It just depends on where I'm at. I can kind of morph to the crowd, um, unless it's just R and B, then I'm I'm out. So yeah, well, it's kind of like when I was when I was thinking about that. It's like I'm sure you've heard of Aaron Lewis, you know, the singer of Stain. If oh, you yeah. listen, if you listen to an hour of him on say YouTube, I mean, you hear everything from. I mean, you could just imagine from country to rock to, to even pop that he does his own style with, and I think that's very cool when you're by yourself on stage to throw a Billy Jean, like you know, like. Chris Cornell did and some of the Aaron Lewis throws in some stuff that you'd never think that Aaron Lewis would sing, but the crowd knows those things and they love it. So I always like to see that. Oh yeah. Especially it's funny you bring up um, Aaron Lewis because he was like my huge motivator of, of music. The first time I ever, the first motivation I ever got to pick up a guitar and play on, on stage was because I saw, Aaron Lewis in the video for outside 
playing on stage just by himself um playing that song and i was like man i want to do that but i just don't know how um and so i don't i used to play it more often it's it's kind of a downer song for for where where i play most of the times but that's yeah that was aaron lewis was the reason i got my eyebrow pierced whenever i was in high school so <laughs> so, so I got a question. What is your favorite song that you you've produced out of there? What is your favorite song you like to? <clears throat> oh, that's that's a tough one. Um, I would have to say this town is probably my favorite. We we put a Michael and I put a lot of time into that one, and um, just getting it produced and and just the backstory. I've I've got a buddy here um, who has well at one point it was his bedroom we just went and recorded in his bedroom <clears throat> and now it's he's he's got a house and in his basement and all this stuff um and so i go over there and and record and i mean it takes us six months uh to do a song and whereas just to compare it to like whenever you walk into a professional studio it could take a week that's that's usually that's a pretty good turnaround um whenever I was recording with Dan in St. Louis. So this is just, <clears throat> we're feeling our way through this music recording process. Um, and it may take us, I may sing that same song 150 to 200 times before we get to the end of it. And I'm like, I never want to see this song again um, or hear it. <laughs> but um, at this point, yeah, this town was like sit down, write it. And that's funny. That song is, is not even about anything I experienced. It's about something my friend experienced in high school that it's just always been kind of like funny between us and inside joke between the two of us. Um, and now looking back, it's like, well, now it's a song and uh, he gets it and I get it, but nobody else will ever get it. So <laughs> oh, I, I got a few of the favorites on there. I, I like <laughs> Superman. I like this town. I like, don't you want to, uh, there's not one of them I really don't like. I like because of you after reading this. I think they're all, I think they're all good. And then you, there's, a, I don't remember the name of the album on, that majority of those are on. There's, there's one, that, there's a good bit of them on there. Um, oh, after everything. Yeah. After everything. That's it. And yeah. uh, I, I like all of them on there. I like the Nick Rucker country, but I really like after everything, everything that's on there anyway. Yeah. Um, um, so how we know each other, man. Uh, so we're going to talk that real quick. And, uh, Man, uh, we, we got a young man that comes to Fort Riley, Kansas, that's beginning his military career, to be honest. And you got another guy that's most would say is at the tail end of his career, even though I did another damn 10 years, but would be at the tail end of his career at Fort Riley, Kansas. And yeah. uh, and uh, I was uh, at the time I was the battalion sergeant major and you had just arrived to, I believe, first maintenance company as a young mechanic. Yep. Yeah. So I just, uh, I got there, they were in the field. First maintenance was in the field, um, getting ready to go to Iraq. Um, and I had the first person I met, and I don't know if you remember Clayton Bourne or not. Um, <clears throat> he was in the parking lot and he oh, just yeah. recently, he had third degree burns on his legs from trying to jump over a bonfire. Um, so he wasn't in the field with everybody else. Uh, he was the first person I met. And then, uh, I think starting hand, um, Jeremiah hand, he was, uh, he, he took me over, walked me over to, uh, your guys' building, which was of course across, uh, I think that's first division, right? No, that's not first division. That's, I can't remember. Anyway, you're on the other side, uh, you and, uh, Colonel Silverstein, um, yep. 
I, I walked over or uh, Iron Man, right? Because he was half of his body was made of iron at that yep. point. Steel. Yep. Um, um, yeah, I walked up there and into your office and I was nervous as hell. I just remember that, that was my first experience in the big army um, and going over and walking into your office. And I'm like, you know, and to this day, I, there's never been another sergeant major that's ever done that was that's ever had me come in their office and meet them whenever I first get to the unit. <clears throat> so that's something that you that's set a yourself shame. apart. Yeah, uh -huh. you set yourself apart doing that and then walked in there and I didn't know what to do. I was still trying to figure out the army um, at that point. I'm sure I, if I, I wish I could go back and see a video of how this all went down um, because I'm sure <laughs> I was like, uh, sit down, stand up. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, but then you said, you know, well, hopefully you're ready to go to Iraq um, because that's where we're going here in a month. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not at all. <laughs> <laughs> there was no need cut, uh, you know, sugarcoating that, you know, I hate to yeah. say that. Uh, when you see some, so one thing I'll say, Nick, is on that is I had this rule. Uh, I had a rule when I was a first sergeant. I will see every soldier that day, and they will understand where I've come from. And uh, and I had that rule, and I had nothing will sit in my office more than twenty four hours. Those are two rules I had, and I carried them all the way through me my whole career. And uh, it's a shame because if you look a soldier now when they first arrive, they understand where you're coming from, and they're willing to do things for you. Not that I need people to do things for me. I just need to be part of the team, you know, and what a lot of people don't know is even after Colonel Silverstein, I had Colonel Dismer. He even made the officers come over. He said, why are you seeing me if you hadn't seen the off, if you hadn't seen Sergeant Major yet? And yeah. I love that because actually that's some truth to that. It should be that way. So they know how to approach the Colonel. But anyway, I'll let, yeah, so we, we coach, uh, we're in the same unit together and we was during the time that we were shoving people down range. I'm talking, we would train them as fast as possible and get them downrange as fast as possible. That was really what we were doing. And his unit was about to go downrange. I do believe your first sergeant was first sergeant trunk and you had Captain yeah. Fisk. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Uh, Captain Fisk, which is funny because each deployment, both deployments I went on, he was there. We were there at the same time. Uh, just randomly ran into him in Afghanistan whenever we were over there, uh, Captain Fisk. But yeah, first sergeant trunk. Um, and, uh, that's the it was crazy i didn't it was <clears throat> it was probably one of the most like just fall through the cracks kind of situations um i get to that unit and and they're in the field uh we deploy and i kind of meet some people um in in the process that are in my shop on the way over um and in the process of basically loading up our whole you know our whole motor pool to send it to iraq um and get there and within the first day they're wanting somebody to go on a duty to work with the command sergeant major that was over us the white h williams um uh from hunter army airfield and he uh basically needed a carpenter and so i never saw first maintenance the whole year i was there um besides in passing i guess but uh it was so, just so one ahead. thing i will say coach is uh that the, the headquarters, which I was at, went deployed, and then they deployed behind us. And they were 15 miles south of me, but I couldn't have them in my unit because they the big army says, these are who belongs to you when you're down in Iraq. I had a different maintenance company out of Arizona that was underneath. They were a good maintenance company. But I talked to your first sergeant and commander all the time. Some ironic things about 
your commander, he wound up being the IG as a lieutenant colonel in my last job uh, for my general. And I, and as a sergeant major, I would see him all the time. And then as that far was, as- Was that in Ohio? No, that was in Detroit. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, up at Techcom. And then uh, your first sergeant, uh, Trunk, when my son came to Fort Riley, Kansas, he reeled him in and kind of got him around a little bit. And uh, uh, the Army is small. People don't realize that. You'll run into people, you know, all over the place. But so we pushed you out to Iraq and then later and that there you wind up working for Sergeant Major Williams down there. Because uh, what a lot of people don't know is, was it a natural fire? Or did it take income when it burnt down their headquarters? You know, uh, they I always heard it was wiring issues. Um, everything was just so old and and, you know, it was. <clears throat> I'm sure KBR, whoever was maintaining the the, the electrical, uh, probably didn't do the best job. They didn't care. Uh, but I don't I don't think it was incoming. I you know I, that it's so funny you bring that up because I totally forgot all about that fire that took place and and burnt everything that we had built uh, basically in that uh, battalion area, burned it to the ground, and we had to start over from scratch in a new building. Uh, then Sergeant Major had even bigger ideas uh, than at that point. I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure. So <laughs> it kept him busy down there being a carpenter uh, for sure. And then uh, later you wind up going to Afghanistan. Is that correct? And, and yeah. such. Yeah. And uh, were you with first maintenance when you went to Afghanistan or were, were, were you with the guard or who was no, you with? No, I was with. Uh, so what happened was got back to Fort Riley and got interpost transfer um, over to Bravo Company 701st. Um, and so my time at Fort Riley started over again, um, whenever that happened. And so ultimately what was going, what was going to happen was the, uh, I think first maintenance disbanded or something where it was in the process or something was going on. They were kill, kicking us all out as soon as we got back from Iraq. Um, but went over to, uh, to, uh, the 701st got in with them, re-enlisted to go to Afghanistan uh, in order to solidify that I could go. And then, um, so whenever I got over there, yeah, I was with Bravo Company 701st from Fort Riley. Yep. So crazy story. 701st was in Germany and I was a first sergeant over for, and I was stationed there for five years. My wife was over. We inactivated it in Germany and moved it over to Fort Riley, Kansas. I was sitting in as a sergeant major at the time. My wife is the only 701st wine princess to ever been nominated in Germany. And she, she is the 701st wine princess by order of the battalion commander because really? of her knowledge. Of, yes. And then 701st eventually did deactivate. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, because that's a great unit is just uh, some pretty cool stuff. So, uh, so we've known each other a good while. I mean, it's gone a long way back. And it's been, I'm, I'm thinking of the dates, it's been 11 years or, or some change around that time. And I'm like, wow, that's that's crazy. I would have never thought that. And man, there's a whole lot of things that's happened during that time. And uh, But real quick, I do got to okay. pause. Cause I got to throw a little quick commercial here. And okay. so what I'll say is, let me find my stuff here. Anybody want anything from the coach in the vet's house supports us here? Come to our shop, come buy a few things. But more importantly, I'm going to throw it out to Nick Rucker here. Let me get this hat off here. 
And let's see if you can't get yourself one of these time caps here. How do you get it, Nick? Tell them how you get it. Um, so you can go, um, if you go on Facebook to Nick Rucker author, uh, there is a link there that will take you to the Dorrance publishing page. Um, my publisher in, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or you can get on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble website, wherever, um, just Google it. It'll pop up Nick Rucker time cap. Yeah. It, hey, we're in September guys. Go out and buy you about 20 of them, put them stocking stuffers and everything else. Nick's yep. got a kid to feed. Y'all need <laughs> yeah. to get that going. And then go on iTunes <laughs> and buy all this stuff like three times. I mean, come on now. Share that stuff. So that's that's the part I want to talk there. And then we're going to throw it back over because advertisement's done. Since we talked about the book, we'll throw it back over to the coach. Well, one of the things I'm learning, Nick, and, and Vet, is I'm learning these terms that, you know, a civilian like myself has never heard downrange. When I first started, I heard that I thought we were about to go the gun range. And then the, then the vet one time came to my house and we recorded and he said, we're at the jump talk. I'm like, what is the jump talk? So I'm having to learn, you know, all these, these great terms that, that y'all, y'all know. So hearing the stories and the, you know, Bravo this and the, and all that, it's, it's, it's like different language, but I, you know, first and foremost, the vet knows I have such respect for the people in the military. It's one of the things that I get to do as a history teacher and government teacher is to teach my students the utmost respect that you have for people when you walk out and you see someone with that veteran hat on, or you see someone that you know that served is any kind of, any kind of rights and freedoms that you have, it comes from guys like you. And so just from someone like myself, that's just an old coach and guitar player that, that just loves to be an American man. Thanks so much. Now on to the book. There's one of the things that when I read, I actually went on Amazon and read Nick earlier, the snapshot that it gave. And yeah. one of the things that I did not know about the book was that it says in there that this was lifted straight from a journal. So that that was what I really wanted to first ask you. Did you keep this journal when you were in Iraq? Did you keep it in your Afghanistan? Was it one that you kept for, you know, in between? You know, give us the background of, you know, this journal turning in this book. Yeah. Um, so ultimately... It was, I mean, it started on my computer. <clears throat> um, it was just me like, hey, my day-to-day, what was going on in Iraq? Um, and, and a lot of it was like just, whenever, whenever I got there, I remember the second or third day we got mortared. And so it was, I didn't understand what was going on um, ultimately. And I had a guy with me in my room um, who had been, it was like his third deployment, something like that. And he's just like, Hey man, calm down. Everything's fine. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to talk to this guy about my emotions. So, uh, <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk to my computer about my emotions. And so um, <clears throat> started making notes of daily stuff that was going on. Um, and, and one of the most devastating things that happened was, and I lost about half of them was whenever I was in getting ready to go on leave in um, for Thanksgiving, go back home to, to Missouri. Uh, my computer fell off of my bunk and landed on its top and it would never turn back on again. And so I had emailed my, up to a point, the stuff that I had written to my aunt in California, who was curious to see what was going on. And so I had all the journal entries up to a point but half of them are missing because I was clumsy and dropped my computer, um, which is sad because I know that there's quite a few things in there that I 
I can remember, but I can't remember in grave detail as to like write them now. Um, <clears throat> what was actually, you know, what it was like to physically be there, um, ex- experiencing what I was experiencing. <clears throat> so yeah, and well, then Afghan uh, Afghanistan was. It, I still have the book. It's literally in a tote back here. Um, it's just a. Um, an old writer's book that I wrote every single day and try to make it a point to, Hey, write every single day, even if it seems stupid, just do it. And so <clears throat> there's a lot that was cut out just because it's like, you guys don't need to know whenever I go to the bathroom and, <laughs> and all that stuff. But, uh, <clears throat> well, one of the things as you know, I've never been in the military, but you know, you see movies and you hear stories and uh, you know, and my, my dad was in, my, my granddad was in. So you hear the stories. I always wonder when you're in a, in Iraq or you're in Afghanistan, where there's actually, you know, people trying to hurt you and you're riding and you, like you said, you, you know, you couldn't talk to this guy. You, you had to put your emotions into the computer because we don't understand we're over here doing, you know, Monday, Monday morning quarterback when we hear about a missile attack or we hear about, you know, an advancement from here, but to live in that and you have to, you know, somehow you're leaving Kansas or Missouri and you're like, I'm living over here and anything can happen to me. I don't think those are feelings that most Americans have ever dealt with unless you're in the military. So, you know, I did say in the book that you were, you were, you were talking about some of those things of coming back and having to come back into normal life. I mean, is it a switch that goes on when you're there and a switch that comes off? Is it, I mean, that sounds too easy. How does that actually work? I wish it was. And what I can equate it to is, is you're in Iraq one day and you have one option for deodorant to buy and you're in the United States the next day and there's 70 options of deodorant to buy. And you're like, why does it need to be like this? (laughs) Um, and so it's like it's it's kind of like that and, and even on a you know a social level with with everybody that I would be talking to family friends and all that getting pulled in all these different directions trying to make the right decision on who to interact with and whose feelings are going to get hurt and all this stuff and when you really in reality are just like okay I need some space um, and I need I need one person and that was my mom at the time um, to uh, to chauffeur me around and hang out and talk and all that stuff. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I wish it was a switch that was easily flipped because, you know, and I wish it's almost like, uh, um, the civilian side almost needs a class on how to, <clears throat> how to welcome somebody back into the community that's been, you know, gone for, for this long and, and all that, just so that they understand, you know, they're, they're going to go through a transition period. It's going to be a situation where it's not, there's nothing wrong. Um, there's nothing wrong at all, but they just need some space. So, and to be probably, I, I think the thing that like probably bothered me the most was you want to talk about it. You want to come back to, from a deployment and talk about things that happened. Um, and nobody really asks, not as much as you would think. Um, everybody always asks that classic, Hey, did you get to kill anybody question? Um, which nine times out of 10 is always a no. Um, we're not over there doing that every single day. Nobody is really, um, some, you know, choice people are, but, um, that's just, I think talking to people about like, Hey, this is what it was like. You know, it was extremely stressful for a very long time. Um, and now I'm trying to wind down and, 
it's it's hard to do without a good coach um, there to help you out um, for real, uh, which was my mom coming back. So, <clears throat> well, before I know the vet has some questions, but I do want to ask one more. It was a little bit more in detail that you talked about was you're just kind of talking about that. Now you came back and how you had to deal with that. You had some issues that you had to deal with coming back. And I've seen that you work with guitars for veterans. You've worked with other people. One of the things that coming back, dealing with that, and you had to battle alcoholism yourself. There's a lot of soldiers that have issues that come back. And like you said, we, we as a society here as, as civilians want to know, like you said, were you in a firefight? Did you shoot somebody? But that's not the real issues that a lot of soldiers come back with. They come back with emotional, as we call real PTSD, and, and, you know, come back with situations. And, 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 you know, how did you deal with it good and bad? And how would you how would you help somebody else that we know now that say overseas that come back? How can we help them better? You know, um, it's kind of funny that you bring that up. Excuse me, <clears throat> because the other day I I posted about Afghanistan and somebody had made the comment, um, "How can we better help?" Um, and it's somebody that I work with, and I was just kind of like, you know, nobody's ever asked that, so here we are. Now I have to answer it. Um, and so, in all reality, I'm glad it was said um, because it, to me it was like, well, enough has been done. It's it's not so much that, and I think it's. <clears throat> Um, I think educating people on whenever people return and the, it's I, I think I equate it to I wish more people that were veterans were more involved with other people that are veterans, because every time that I see an older guy that's got a veterans uh, Vietnam or or whatever hat on, it's just like. Oh, I feel something that I wouldn't feel just by seeing an older guy that are just in passing, you know, um, you, you feel a, a sense of closeness to them that, man, I've, I probably haven't walked in your shoes, but I have a good understanding of what, what, where you're at. Um, and so that's where it just always, to me, always is a point of make us stopping and saying, Hey, how are you? You know, just like, just wanted to say thank you, you know, <clears throat> and, just get them talking. Um, that to me made a world of difference was just getting, there's plenty of veterans. I mean, uh, Sergeant Major knows from our deployment to Iraq, we've had 12 or 13 people that have passed away since we got back um, that were either suicides or just, I mean, car accidents, whatever it may be. And a lot of, the, there's a few of those people that I was pretty close with um, that <clears throat> I felt um I felt kind of bad at one point whenever one of them, one of them came to one of my shows. Uh, we'll just, I'll just tell you the story. He came to the show <clears throat> and I hadn't talked to him in quite a while. And I sat at the bar with him and this was when I didn't drink. <clears throat> and we talked a little bit. Um, um, and he just, you know, like, like most veterans get, they grow a beard and they look, they look like the veteran that, uh, that everybody sees in movies that got out of service. Um, and so we sat there and talked and, and I was just like, man, I'm so glad we reconnected because I just feel like there's a handful of people in this world that understand what happened for a year um, and what ex we experienced. And you're one of them. And I'm glad that we got to go, you know, I'm glad we got to link back up and we had plans um, to link back up even more. And then he passed away in a car accident, um, which was very unfortunate, but, 
it was just situations like that where I think just doing my part and putting myself out there to work with these guys or meet these guys and hear their stories. It's just, to me, it's motivating. It's, it's, I like to hear those old war stories from Vietnam and, and I, I don't think there's enough kids today that, that do. Um, I, I remember being a kid and wanting to, to hear from my dad, his desert storm stories. And like, those were the questions I was always like asking was like, Hey, what was it like seeing camels and all this crazy stuff that he got to do that I saw in pictures. Um, so I just think that in, and to come full circle to the answer to that question, it just comes down to just talk to, you know, just talk to people, guys that, you know, are veterans. Hey, what, what happened? I, mean, I don't you know. And I guess from a civilian standpoint, just come at it as a approach of, uh, of not understanding, you know, and wanting to understand better of, of what, what you went through in Vietnam, because, I always relate it to a book. I always re- relate it to Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried um, and reading that book a million times <clears throat> and saying that, like, you know, I don't understand everything, like, you know, the false Saigon and everything that you guys went through um, in Vietnam. But, you know, I have read this book and I have an, uh, uh, an idea. Maybe you could help me out. That's the kind of questions that I'm asking. Um, and so... I think anybody, most guys that are even Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, we want to talk about it. You just got to get through that kind of hard nosed, whatever we're trying to come off as um, <laughs> right out of the gate and get through to that. There's a cookie in the middle. There, there's so, something in there. So, so Nick, I agree. Uh, I want to throw one thing out as you talked about earlier. I'll, I can tell you that every one of my deployments, now I came home with kids sitting at the house, you know, and I can say you built up a whole year what your expectation of what when you get back home is. Every soldier or troop does that, Sailor Marine. Whatever that is, they, they're expecting that. And they're expecting this romantic moment with the missus, and it better be all they thought about for a whole year. But And with their kids or, or no kids, whatever it is. But I can tell you every deployment I came on, by the time I got to the house and within an hour, I was so overwhelmed. Um, to be around, I I felt like I was outside looking in my family every time. And, uh, and that's not, nobody was bad. Nobody was doing anything wrong. The kids just wanted to be around me. I wanted to be around them, but I felt like I was a guest. And that's, I've hardly ever said that. And that it's just something that what you said kind of made me trigger that. Think about that is you kind of feel like you're the outsider walking in and, um, and it, it just takes time. And, I remember coming back from Iraq and OIF2 going, I just want to go back. I don't know why I want to go back, but I wanted to go back. And it, I think every soldier deals with that, you know, in yeah. some shape, form, fashion. We're going to move on, though. We're going to talk about something else. I got I got a couple of things got to throw in here, but we're going to talk just – you were you was at uh, Sharana, am I correct, in Afghanistan? Yeah, yep. So, so Coach, <clears throat> one thing about Sharana. Sharana, there was three bases close to each other. Sharana, Shank, and Salerno. Bob Shank took incoming every freaking night because we moved the damn artillery out of there like some stupid heroes, like that was a smart idea. So they artilleried the heck out of them every night. I'm not talking a little bit. I've I've got several people that I know that they got wounded there. Uh, I know a chaplain that got wounded. I got a former lieutenant of mine got wounded there. 
And that's just a rough place. And they were all three real close to each other. And my whole theory the whole time was, why don't we just move freaking Shank to uh, Sharana and call it a day? Because it was a little bit better than – and I think he had an airfield there, if I remember right. Yeah, that's where most people flew into and then got yeah. divvied, divvied up to the smaller FOPs like Tillman and all that stuff. So. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts on how we withdrew out of Afghanistan Do you and, and such? Um, I have my personal feelings, and I've <laughs> talked about it three podcasts now. But yeah. I was just curious what your what your thoughts are. And I'll throw it out there if you want me to, but what are your thoughts on it, Nick? Um, I was pretty pretty disappointed in, in how all this went down. Um, I just uh, from a uh, from just a even thinking about like if I was going to hand over an armament shop to another um, E6, how I wouldn't just leave it there and walk out and say, "Well, you got it. Okay, good luck." Um, that's that's how I thought about that, and I was like, "Why would we treat that you know any different uh, in in a large base like this?" Um, in uh, Kabul or Bagram or wherever, you know, it, it is. I mean, we turned over the whole country, so it's it's all of these bases. Uh, and then all these these uh, weapons and stuff. And now, the, you know, we're, we got a kid coming back uh, this Friday who was killed over there um, to Omaha. And um, the, the simple fact that, you know, and, and maybe I was never in a leadership position like you were, um, over there making those hard decisions on where the soldiers need to be um, and how to move, you know, uh, logistics wise, how to move everybody around. Um, but to me, it never made sense that we had guys intermingled with with the crowds out in front of the um, of that base or out, outside of that gate. And why, you know, it didn't make any sense. We had five thousand guys over there um, that were not full, you know, not engaged in something, you know, we perimeter guard, whatever it is. It's like, I could, I could have built that map um, and set that up pretty easily um, and not had, you know, our, our uh, male and female, both Marines out inter intertwined with, with uh, the locals. Um, So to say I was disappointed was, is kind of an understatement. I've kind of worked through it uh, the past few days. There was a few days where I had a good cry and was very upset about it. Seeing um, these, you know, 20 year olds killed uh some of them that were just babies whenever afghanistan kicked off um it it didn't make any sense why why we didn't have seasoned veterans who have been doing this for the past 20 years over there that know how to control these kind of crowds like why 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 are we sending you know fresh fresh bodies in there to to give them somebody that has no idea what's what's really going on i mean there's one there's one thing to know what it looks like in the rule book. And then there's another, like to see it on the field. Um, it's a little bit different. And so, yeah, I was, I was very disappointed and sad and, and upset that these kids had to get killed um, to do whatever it is, what we accomplished. I mean, I don't even know, like you did, I, you know, every time they talk about, Oh, we have all these Americans over there and these Americans and these, and it's like, who are they? Like who, who are these Americans that are staying over there that, you know, at some point there had to been a, a somebody saying, Hey, if you don't get out now, you're not going to get out. Like, and well, obviously somebody's making a decision to stay there. But. I'll say this on that, Nick is, um, okay. I, I think with that, and I'm going to talk about the the youth of all this here in a second, but I'll say, you know, with that, 
I think because they put out so many messages saying this is hot and it wasn't hot when they put them out. That kind of the old saying, if every email is important and none of them is important. And I think we fell in that crisis right there. They said they put out 19 messages in March. But if you put one out in March and saying this is hot, this is hot, this is hot. And then you realize it's not that hot. Do you listen to the rest of them? And I think you're in that predicament. That's one facet of it. And the second facet is some of them are willing to move out and they're married into some families, but they're not willing to leave their family behind. And that, that's, that's a major issue. But kind of the point you brought, these are 20-year-olds, and why do we not have expertise down there? Uh, a seasoned platoon that's, that's had a couple of deployments on their belts, things of that nature. Those are great questions that should be asked, and especially since, you know, we, could, we couldn't have over 2,500 until it went to chaos, and then we moved it to 6,500 real quick. We, wouldn't, yeah. we should have just moved to 6,500 to begin with, and it would have been chaos. Just, you know, I mean, just as a tactical aspect. Yeah. But back here in America, what is sad, and I got a piece coming out on Thursday that we've kind of already forgotten about it in America, in the media cycle and the administration and things of that nature. They've already moved on overall on this. We have 13 people that are still going through the, the procedure of being laid to rest finally. And we have businesses that are placing 13 beers out there showing more respect for individuals that can't even drink beer that died for their nation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's mm -hmm. ironic in a lot of ways is businesses were willing to put those out there for these 13 people. And my hat's off to those businesses because I got nothing respect for them and I got nothing respect for those 13, but there's a lot of me that says this didn't even have to be this way. And I, I don't want to go down all that lane part right there, you know, yeah. but it's just a shame that these businesses are holding it at a higher character than some of the media is right now because they've moved on and these 13 yeah. and these businesses have not, you know, so I'll throw it out there and, um, uh, that's, but that's, go ahead. that's, that's extremely disappointing. Um, and <clears throat> the circus that they caused, last year um with with the protests and everything else um and you know i was a part of that too it's just like being in the national guard every time something pops off we get called up um and was at the capitol building in lincoln um with a with a loaded m16 you know like yeah it's just like well here we are back in afghanistan um so, so i'll say nick my my son who's a lieutenant his very first job in the national guard after he got there, was called to go to Houston and defend against riot control. And I'm yeah. like, that's the first job of a platoon leader? That is not a freaking cool job to have as a yeah. lieutenant. You know, I mean, you want a seasoned guy in there for that. You don't want, you know, so that was his oh, first yeah. job. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm sitting I'm sitting down um, where, where our governor comes through and, and walks into the Capitol building with – I think 12 or 13 guys and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Like, <laughs> I, joke, I have no idea. Like I had training three years ago um, on how to yeah. control a riot. Um, and it's not, this isn't how it's going. Um, so, yeah. So I'm like, you just, all right, let's just stay calm and, you know, we'll let the state troopers handle it and all this stuff anyway. But it, it just, America's values are in the wrong place right now. Um, I feel like, there was a lot of, of attention thrown towards things that didn't need the respect and the attention that got. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff that now we're sitting here like, oh, we have 
how can we sweep this under the rug as quickly as possible and move on with the COVID stuff that's going on? Uh, and so that's where and to not compare, you know, apples to apples or whatever it may be. Um, it's just America needs to like sit back and say, what am I really upset about? For one, like what, what, what is affecting me on a daily basis? That's got me in such an uproar that, you know, I need to go out and, and cause protests or whatever it may be protest all you want. I don't care as long as it's peaceful. Um, but then it's like, whenever you sit back and you're not upset about maybe some kids or didn't, you know, even know that a war was still going on until like a couple weeks ago. Like to me, it's just like, we're, it has to happen in the United States in order for you to understand that there there's people that are, you know, raising their right hand and going overseas no, we don't want that to happen here. So I don't know. It's yeah. it, it there. There's a lot of, of mixed emotions on that. And like where uh, I just see people talk on Facebook and whatever it may be. And I never comment, but I, you know, I get kind of fired up every once in a while and I'll talk to Leslie or somebody about it. Um, but <clears throat> there's, there's this, you know, you see everybody that I know from back home, was is the kind of person that's going to put 13 beers out on the table and they're going to be that that kind of 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 crowd of people um now now that i moved to omaha it's a little bit different it's it's a a lot different living in a city and that's been a a very difficult for me um, on some aspects in some aspects so um yeah, yeah i yeah coach what do you think well, there's a couple of things that I, that's, that's been really bothering me for the last week, week and a half is being a coach. You know, you always when you make mistakes or, or, or you know, you lose a game or, or or something happens. Of course, you don't equate it to the same as you guys. You're talking about lives here. But, you know, you have to take responsibility as a coach. Say, you know, I'm, I made the wrong call. I, I should have ran the ball more. I shouldn't have had that defense called. We lost the game and the buck stops with me. And I don't say but the coach that was here before four that didn't put this team together he's the more at fault than me and you i think what you need to have in this country which we don't have is personal responsibility not just from the leadership that we have at the top but also from families that are going on across this country this personal responsibility has gone out the window one of the things that i've seen that over the last year and year and a half that has really bothered me is the what we'll do is we'll put heroes in places that aren't real heroes you know, I mean, we had people that were criminals that actually were murdered. And yes, we know they were murdered, but we put them as a hero. And then you have these guys that literally lost their lives protecting not only the last 20 years of interest that we had after 9-11. That's why we were there, but also protecting people that were trying to have women's rights, actually have, you know, rights that normal people. And the same people that were commenting about the George Floyd and commenting about protests from the Capitol went silent for a week, never said a word about the 13, never said a word about these heroes, never even posted a picture of a, of a, of American flag. And I do not get where it comes is how can we point to this as being a hero? And when we have real heroes that died last week, it's, it's, it's blown me away, guys. It really has. Yeah. So coach, Real quick, we got about five minutes, and I got to say this one thing about Nick Rucker before we get out of here is um, <laughs> Nick Rucker promised me uh, for a long time that he would sing at my retirement party. 
And I had oh, to yeah. call you off, Nick. I really did because I could not stand Thank to have you down here. There'd only be like there would be like ten people here. I would have felt bad. I, you know, I just retired back <laughs> home, and I said, "There's no way I can have Nick Rucker with just ten people. It's just it, it would be embarrassing. I could not let the young man down like that." I just hit my 22nd anniversary, but if you're still singing on my 25th. I'll have you down here in a heartbeat. And I'll, I'll get you down here, Leslie and the boy down here in a heartbeat. Love to have you down here. And uh, we'll give you the coach to tell you it's only about five minutes, but I'll give you the five minute tour of town and everything. Hopefully okay. I can get more people down here. And uh, well, uh, it, it sounds like our hometown might be a little bit bigger. When we, we grew up uh, a vet with 3000 people in Pittsburgh, he's talking about 500. Oh, so, I, I mean, I know. Whole high school, 75 kids. Yeah. So yeah. wow. So man, it is good to have you on here. And 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 I've always been very impressed. Uh I've followed you since over 12 years ago. And uh and I think you evolved to a great young man and now a dad. And and um I think the, the biggest honor a person can have is to be a father for a man. And the biggest honor a woman can have is to be a mom. Uh, because I think that's a a treasured treasured skill set that nobody can understand except you and your perspective of how you're forging your way through life in that. And you got a handsome young man. Um, so I'll give you about two minutes. If you got anything else you want to say before I say goodbye I, to the coach and yourself here, I was so, going to go say. Ahead. I was going to say. So with what I do as a at my job is basically um, go out. Tra train concrete lifting and and uh, house lifting companies all over the United States and Canada and all that place. Um, go out, teach them how to how to not be the chuck in the truck guy that pulls up to your house and is going to roof your house. Uh, tr try to be professional. Um, and so every time that I'm talking to what would be a squad leader or a crew leader um, of a crew, I always share that story that you told us um, was if you don't know what your Joes eat on their, on their um, eggs in the morning or what they like, then you don't know your Joes. And so I always tell those guys, I'm like, if you don't know what, if you were to go into the gas station and get something for your buddy and you got to ask, you don't know I'm good enough. So, wow. Yeah, that's so great. yeah, I, I, I put that in every training that I do now. So and uh, I, I throw your name out there. So one of these days, somebody will run it. Are you sort of Major William? <laughs> uh, Sorry. Well, real quick, I think yeah. this might be a good time for me to say this. I know we don't have a lot of time left, but one of the best things about this thing for me is I had this thing year and a half, two years ago. Where I said, I think I should do a podcast. And, and the vet, you know, he, he messaged me and said, maybe we should do one together. One of the best things that have come out of this for me personally is I've got to spend more time talking with veterans of, Iraq war and Afghanistan war from Alan Bailey to Jerry Jackson to Nick that I never had a chance to do and just say, thank you. So I want to make sure before I leave, Nick, I want to say not only thank you to you. And I don't think I've said enough vet, but thank you to you too, for what y'all did. You did for 30, you did for 20, just protect us. So I can be a coach or be a guitar player or just be a dumbass. It doesn't matter, but I get to be who I am. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. So we, we are going to have to go. So I'm going to say real quick from the coach, to the vet. Stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned.